everybody, Jerry here. Uh, before we get to our conversation with Juani Romero, a reminder that today is National Census Day. People across America are keeping their communities safe and healthy by staying home or providing essential services. Responding to the 2020 census yourself, and you can do that online, on the phone, or through the mail, is another way to do your part to help keep your community strong. You know, you pay our taxes every year, but every 10 years is how we decide who gets what part of that money. So if you want the right amount of money to come to your community so that we can better prepare ourselves for the next pandemic, emergency, or just everyday services, please go check out 2020census.gov and fill out your own census today. Thanks again. And here now is my conversation with Wani. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Asian Americans. Uh, this one's a pretty cool episode um, with regard to who I've known the longest out of all of our guests. Uh, I think Wani takes the cake for now. Um, Wani and I met in high school back in 98. Uh, we were both part of, initially, we met through our network of uh, student Christian clubs in New York City. And we were lucky enough and blessed enough to participate in a project called Project Bridge. It was a leadership development, youth development program that the Korea Society had hosted. And so we did a year long development program. We got to spend two weeks in Korea with some friends from New York, DC and LA. So I've gotten to know Wani for a very long time. And so, you know, she is like a sister to me. I've seen her go through, um, you know, visited her um, and her family at her coffee shops in Las Vegas. Super cool, unique background, super cool, unique story of what she does now. There's so much passion and energy behind what she does. So, Wani, welcome to the show number one. Hi. Tell us about Wani Romero. Um, where, where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your childhood and um, Korean and Asian American identity evolution or, or journey as you've grown up. Sure. So, I am Wani Romero, and I grew up in Queens, New York, and I am half Korean and half Ecuadorian. Uh, I think growing up as a, a product of an interracial couple in New York City in the late 80s was definitely uh, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to go through and one of the things that has made me into who I am because of that. Uh, as you know, you know, being Korean, Korean people are very uh, homogenous and they really feel that they're the best race in the whole world, just like every other race. And it was difficult being mixed because during that time uh, in inclusivity in Korean society was very limited. And uh, my mom wasn't, she wasn't allowed to identify and hang out with other Koreans. So she only hung out with other Korean women who had married outside of their race. So I hung out with a lot of kids who were mixed and it, re it really made me feel like the major identity for me during that period was that I was an outsider. That even though like I was half Korean and I identified as Korean because my mother raised me and so the Korean culture was heavily influenced. I speak it fluently, I write, I read, I go to Korea every year. Uh, I was still not good enough to be Korean. And that really shaped how I grew up. 
You grew up in Queens, the most diverse county in all of America. You went to high school at Brooklyn Tech, one of the most diverse high schools in New York, not only in New York City, but I believe across the country. Um, how did you find the community and home in your childhood and at your high school? So one of the things is that my basic fear, the one thing that drives me is that is a fear of being an outsider, not being understood and not being competent. So it really shaped how I wanted to connect with the world. And one of those things was it, it drove me to utilize my intelligence to find ways to adapt and to relate to other people. And I think that moved me forward, especially during through the New York public school system to be able to um, stay you know, at the top of the class and do things that people want to see me do, which is like, oh, you're a good girl. Oh, you study well. Oh, you're so smart. All the things that, you know, everyone wants their kids to be, I tried my best to do. And I really like pushed down and suppressed all the wildness that's really inherent in my nature in order to do this. And going to Brooklyn Tech, that was a very, that was a very scary thing because there's like 5,000 students I'm just like, this is a small village. I mean, no, it's like a small town. Yeah. And to come in and all of a sudden, like, instead of being a young girl, it's now, a, in a way, a young woman, you know, and all these other mixtures of emotions and layers of um, social status that, that was included. And one of the things I did is I really identified with the Asian culture in high school for you would think at, for a school of 5,000 people and growing up in a, in a city with so many different races and culture that would be more inclusive. Well, people actually identify more stronger with their own. So there's all these little clicks and all these little groups and it was just trying to navigate. In hindsight, being an adult, I think I would navigate it a little bit more and opened it up. I think it's tough um, when, you, when you're growing up, like you said, on paper, diverse across the board, diverse as a bucket. But, you know, it does have a tendency, like even if you look at the map of Queens, there are stereotypical neighborhoods because they exist, right? Certain races of people or people from similar cultures live in certain pockets of even Queens. And especially in high school, it's no surprise that people still tend to keep those communities um, because they know each other from the neighborhood or from extended family or from church or other sort of networks. Um, yeah, it's, I hope it's better now back, back home in New York, you know, with, with students feeling like they can really be themselves and belong. So uh, high school in Brooklyn, um, coffee shop owner in Las Vegas, what happened in between? Mm, a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you bring up a good point, you know, uh, growing up, in New York and hoping that maybe it's more inclusive now. And I really think with technology and it's definitely more inclusive, but it definitely has a mentality. And it's like that around the way person, right? You know, your friends from your block, you're born there and you live there and you die there. That mentality, there's not a lot of like, I don't think like, especially in New York, there's not a lot of room, like how we think in the West Coast, which is innovation, uh, flexibility and lifestyle, um, opportunities, those things, where in New York, it's like almost like opportunity is something you live and die by. On the West Coast, it's more something that's always available. Like the difference of a ment the mentality between like scarcity and abundance. 
And I think what happened for me was um, after high school, I, I got really lost. And um, all the things I've been stuffing down, all the wildness in my nature, all the craziness that I'm capable of started seeping out. And you know what? It does not work with uh, identifying as an Asian woman because as an Asian woman, you're supposed to have a certain number of indicators of an archetype, which is one, look pretty, B, say the right things, don't be bigger than the man you're around, and four, don't curse, and five, just don't be you. Inherently, I can't live apart from my truth, and I was, I was, and who I was going to become wasn't going to work for me anymore. And I, the pivotal moment and the cataclysm for all that was 9-11. Um, I, um, that really shook me to the core. I, I don't think, I don't know if I would have been impacted even though the building that I was uh, going to school in did collapse uh, the day it happened. I was luckily in a church retreat in Jamaica when all this occurred. And then coming back and watching all these missing flyers in the train stations, like fluttering and sort of the, the sadness and, and the somber of the city during that time, it affected me so deeply. It made me realize like, we are not guaranteed the next day and we're definitely not guaranteed old age. Like there's no way we know when we're gonna live or when we're gonna die. And I realized that I had sort of lived for everyone else. I had lived for my parents. I would lived for my friends. I lived for this identity of me that I don't think I believed in anymore, you know? And that's when I decided to leave. I packed up all my stuff, broke everything down and I moved out west. And I was like, I'm gonna, I can't stay in New York because in New York, it's like, I can't live the apartment I lived in. It was rent controlled. I knew I was born there. I knew I was gonna live there. And I knew eventually I was gonna die there. And I had to just sort of like abandon everything in order to like hope that maybe, maybe I could learn who I am and find out um, what I could be in life. What was your first stop on the West Coast? What did you want to do? What did you hope to do? I, my first stop on the West Coast was to get as far away as possible from New York. And that was California. <laughs> um, I guess I could have gone to Hawaii, but that scared me a little bit. So I started, uh, Ended up in California, went to a small community college and decided that I was going to study out there for a little bit, figure stuff out and made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and, and what were some of those things that you experienced in your 20s that eventually led you to want to create a business where in addition to providing you know, some really badass coffee and some amazing food, that community and helping people feel like they belong somewhere was such an integral part of your business plan. 
Mm. So it was definitely in the beginning, it was just all by happenstance and mishmash. I was a young girl. I started uh, my cafe when I was 24. I first started, came up with the idea when I was 22 and I saved money for two years on top of getting a loan. And at the time, you know, I was just this like really like wild, you know, you know, roller, like I roller skate, I'd skateboard, I'd rock climb, you know, jump off buildings, like just wild and completely incoherent young woman who decided that she wanted to open a cafe because I loved reading books and I thought the best place to read a book was in my own cafe. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've never read a book in my cafe. <laughs> it's never happened. and never will. And I opened it and I remember like I walked into this turn, like I, there was only one location that would give me a cafe. And to this day, I don't, I still don't know why they said yes. If someone like me came up to me and was like, Hey, give me a location. I'd be like, you're crazy. I was like, you have, you're just wild and you don't know what you're going to do. But they gave me the location, it was turnkey, and it used to be um, some other corporate type of coffee shop, I forget the name. And I remember like going through their filing cabinets and finding their like SOP, handbooks, stent, all of that stuff. And I looked at it and I threw it in the trash. And I was like, fuck this, fuck this corporate culture, fuck this bullshit of like how we need to live our life. We're gonna do it my way. I've spent like $10,000 creating my own handbook. <laughs> I wish I could go back in time and find that handbook because it would have saved me a lot of heartache. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, so you started your coffee shop, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. How, how did that grow and, and how did you evolve as a business owner and a leader during that time? Because you have multiple locations now with a couple different brands. Mm -hmm. So it started with a, a young girl trying something out and I opened my doors, I think on the first day of the recession. Awesome. And that was, that was a big learning. <laughs> I think uh, the only reason why I survived is I am very persistent. I am very arrogant and I do not let go. Like on the pain of death, I do not give in. It's just in my nature. I don't know why. Like I'm the most stubborn person you could meet. Like if I want something, there's no one who's going to get in my way. And I think that helped me survive. Like it didn't mean that I was able to pay my bills. I was in the red for two years, but I got a second job. I worked like sometimes I worked 16 hours a day, 18 hours a day to get by and you know, thank God I was really young, you know, imagine now as like an older woman and a mother of two kids, I don't think it'd be possible. I'd have to throw in the towel just in consideration of them, but I was able to do it. I got by in little sleep. I barely ate. And eventually a thought came across my head and I was like, it was a, have you ever seen that B horror movie musical called a little shop of horrors? Like Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, Bill Murray. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. You should watch it. And it's basically the premise is, is that there's alien life form that comes and like crashes into this little like florist shop. And Rick Moranis is like the florist. And it's um, a sentient plant that can speak, 
And the only thing is this plant lives off human blood and human flesh. So in the beginning, it's like itty bitty, tiny little plant. And then uh, it's, so Rick Morris starts feeding it with like drops of blood. And as it's growing, he's saying like, feed me Seymour, feed me. So now this like cute little florist has to go and kill people and chop them up and feed this plant. And so the story goes, you know, I don't want to say the ending. You should find out on your own. I realized that my business was that plant. Like it was going to kill me. And I was like, fuck that. I was like, nothing. I was like, I ride the horse. The horse does not ride me. And I was like, there has to be a way. There has to be a way for me to get on top of this. There has to be a way for the business to work for me because there's so many companies out there that are successful and they know something that I don't know. So the first step I did was I started to re-educate myself in the right tools that would give me the ability to navigate my business and to assess. Uh, one of the first things I did, which is really embarrassing to say, was I taught myself math. I bought a whole bunch of textbooks and I started at fifth grade level math because I had completely uh, was so far removed from understanding basic arithmetic that I knew I had to start all over again. And I went from fifth grade math to teaching myself calculus in the span of a couple of months. From there, I taught myself bookkeeping, basic accounting. Uh, I started reading books, uh, business books on, from different people that I knew who are successful, like Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, also reading about philosophy and different modern day philosophers who understand like modern culture because it did relate back to what I was going through. And honestly, I was like an ant. I was just wandering the hills of my mind, navigating and trying to explore and learn because I knew, I really believed that there had to be another way, that it wasn't that I was less than, that I wasn't good enough and that I couldn't make it. And there's something inherently wrong with me that I couldn't do that some other company was capable of doing. I knew it was outside of me and I just need to find it. And eventually that created uh, a, a comprehensive idea of what my business was and what um, the mechanics of it that was very limiting and, and throttling me as a business owner and then start innovating that process to fine tune it, to find different ways to make it work better. And I could say I spent about like four years just on that alone. And I, it was a really great four years, like to learn, to grow, to work on my business, uh, enjoy life, you know, because the goal wasn't like, I didn't want to make a ton of money. Like I was just happy. Like I was doing something I loved you know, I was hanging out with the people I loved. I was making coffee. I had badass employees and I had a roof over my head. It, like, honestly, like it was more than I could have imagined in my life. And to learn, it was amazing. You described yourself as stubborn, arrogant, but you, the story you just told is just all about humility, right? Instead of saying, I know this, so I'm just going to go off of my feel, off of my instinct. You went and bought textbooks to reteach yourself things that you learned at an earlier time in your life. You 
humbled yourself and asked for help directly and indirectly by reading books and learning from other people. And I think that our listeners have to know, as somebody who's been in your store many times and have met your team, they're not your employees. They are your family and, and they see you as that. And I, and I think that is something that most small business entrepreneurs know that most of us who don't have that experience find very, very hard to understand that it's not a business. It is, you know, that you are in charge of so much more than just cutting a paycheck every two weeks. Um, so of, of late, obviously in the past two or three weeks, um, we've have gone through something that you and I certainly have never, ever seen in our lifetimes. Um, where, where your business is in Las Vegas, the majority of the economy is tourism based and you know, the unthinkable has happened, which is the casino shutting down and going dark and you know, to the point that certain casinos never even had locks on their external doors. And, and so it's not just the casinos, but it's, it's the entire local economy in, in the greater Las Vegas area that has been you know, um, impacted in, in, in perhaps a greater way than some of the other larger cities. Um, and, and so how, how has that been for you? And what are some things that you know, have been on your mind? Um, you've written some amazing thoughtful pieces on LinkedIn and on Facebook um, expressing the, some of the pain and the perspectives that you've gone through. But um, take us through what you've been through the last couple of weeks. So uh, I, I really thought, honestly, I, you know, A, thank you for saying all those wonderful things about me. Um, the reason why I say I'm arrogant is because I believe I have the capacity. Uh, whereas like, you know, my whole life I was taught that I didn't have the capacity and I consider that arrogance. Uh, and going into this, I was still very confident. Uh, I am uh, the longest independent running chain of cafes in Vegas. So we have a strong culture here, a strong community that I've created. And even going through this, I wasn't worried about it because I felt like with our community and our brand that it wouldn't hurt us. But when the mandate fell and all the dining areas were closed and customers couldn't come in and hang out, uh, that really was emotionally devastating for me. I think from the outside looking in, uh, anyone could say that I'm a very strong CEO. I never faltered. Uh, we went boom straight to our action plan, cut out all the fat, cut out anything non-essential. I pivoted very quickly. Uh, we always operate lean, just like I mentioned earlier. I opened my first business as the recession started. So I've never been a very fat cat mentality. I've always operated lean and it literally took us to, to get leaner. It was like less than five minutes because everything in my company is metriced out we have KPI scorecards, SOPs, our handbooks are over 82 pages long. So I, I do run my company uh, with a lot of measures and with a great team. But personally, sitting in my cafe, watching it empty out, I didn't realize how devastating that was going to be for me and that I was going to start going into a wild storm in my heart and the past two weeks from the outside I've made a lot of great decisions professionally 
But personally, I have to say that this has treated me in a way worse than 9-11. It has treated me a lot worse than uh, going through my divorce because this has been my identity as a CEO. It's been my labor of love. It's been the thing that I've always focused on. No matter what, this was going to carry me through, right? This was going to be my legacy of building communities, uh, building a brand that cares, um, building a brand that works at a very healthy social level while being ethical uh, and still pursuing capitalism. But without my community, without my people, I didn't know who I was anymore. And that really uh, brought me to my knees. And I feel like I'm finally getting out of it. I feel like I'm finally like finding a little bit of center, but I mean, you know, yeah, I've been drinking pretty heavily. <laughs> There's a saying that my, one of my mentors tells me, she's saying that uh, it was a, a CEO of a large airline company from the 1980s, you know, the whole time during that recession era, the airlines were really struggling. And they asked him, he's like, how did you spend the, five, the past five years getting through this? And he answered, wild turkey. I can say the same without any shame. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, it's a challenging time and it's a time that um, none of us have ever been through, right? And um, it's, it's extra challenging when you have the responsibility, dare I say, the burden of holding other people um, in charge. When you look at, you said community a lot, and I take it that to mean not only your employee family, but your customers who are generally regulars um, in, in particularly the stores that have been around for a while, um, you know, they're going through their own individual battles. Obviously, there are uh, mandates and, and things that are happening far greater than either of us that are either encouraging or preventing them from, you know, taking their regular habits of, of stopping by your stores. But not knowing when that's going to end, um, how, how are you approaching it from a leadership perspective of sharing this with your employees of, like, how do you lead when you don't know where the light at the end of the tunnel is? It's literally, you got, you got to put on your metaphysical tennis shoes and now you're playing a tennis match against an epidemic. <laughs> That's what it is. I am at, um, what's like, what's like the biggest tennis tournament we have that the one in Queens ah, U S open. Yeah. I'm at the U S open. I'm going, I'm going up against an, quarantine epidemic mandate from the governor. I've never played against this, but there's a whole bunch of people cheering me on. And not only are they cheering me on, they expect me to win because I've told them I can win. I'm capable. Look at me. I have a badge that says CEO. I know what I'm doing. Honestly, I have no fucking clue <laughs> because I know everything up to that point, what I'm doing. But this is the mantle of a CEO, right? This is the position that I signed up for, is at the end of the day, one person has to make that heavy decision. And, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could make decisions about my future, but it makes no difference. I have to decide right now. And there's been a lot of decisions like that. It may feel alone, but you are not alone because you have your family, you have your friends, you have your community, both employees and customers. Um, how can we help? 
I think that uh, the different ways that that has been helping me is being able to open up online. So for me, coming out of this personal chaos I've been in was was a first I learned that I lost my community, and it's not only the customers and my friends and my employees. It was the community of my why of my being that I lost, and after going through the chaos and which I am, I'm very wild. I, I have to go through the fire in order to get to the next place. That's my nature. And realizing that the, my why is still there. It just needs to translate differently. So as you've mentioned, you've noticed, and I have to honor you in this, is because you put out a very um, eye-opening post about, you know, all these CEOs who are very comfortable about talking about how they're going to do well and do all that stuff. And Honestly, I was one of those CEOs. You know, I was saying that to my employees and my team. Like, we're going to get through it. We're going to capitalize. We're going to come back stronger and dominate the market. Complete fucking bullshit. I'm at home drinking my heart out, you know? And I was like, I've got to be honest about that. I've got to be honest about what I'm going through. And maybe in my authenticity, other people relate to me. And writing these articles and writing these words and going on video and even doing this podcast, it's alleviating that loneliness I'm feeling. It's alleviating the, the negative words that come to my mind all day long, the anxiety attacks I'm feeling that overwhelm me because people are reaching back out. People are connecting back with me and I'm feeling that support. And professionally, we've taken our brand and I transitioned my brand into not such a physically based community nexus, but now we want to focus on our brand being a uh, nexus point, even online, because how I view our brand, how I drive it is very specific to what people are looking for. Just like if someone else opened a cafe and they had their own brand, people identify with that. There's something that people identify with me and it's that our brand always moves from authenticity and it always moves from a place of community. So now we're strategizing how do we communicate that online? How do we support our community? And some of the things that, you know, I have a great group of friends who are amazing collaborators. You know, we're doing like a call to artists and uh, doing live acoustic uh, music sets and allowing people to listen in and all the money is going back to artists. Uh, we're doing a coffee pay it forward program where uh, we're creating tabs on our website where people can buy coffee for first responders uh, for their friends or a stranger. And on my part, we're working strongly with our social uh, safety net community leaders and by providing coffee into their spaces to support them during this time. And I think there's a, been a big shift in me in, in my heart. Um, I, I had been approached before this happened about working with uh, the Nevada uh, Homeless Youth Program. Uh, the, one of the people on the board, uh, who's a very intelligent, wonderful man, mentioned that he wants to help me grow my brand because I, had, I have a heart of wanting to grow my company on a national level. And he, he really loved how invested my baristas were and how we treat everyone like family. And he wanted to bring in qualified homeless youths into my cafe and I would teach them how to become baristas and give them life skills. And I was, I got to admit, I was a little bit on the fence about it because, you know, I was bringing in people who were in different positions, right? 
But with this going on and realizing that for me, sitting at a very comfortable place and being rocked and devastated and the chaos in my life, I realized like, what about the other people who have less than and how they're being devastated? And I felt, I didn't feel bad for them. I didn't feel bad for myself, but my heart ached because I realized that there's so much more that I could be leveraging this brand as. And I was looking outward wanting to grow this in different states, wanting to find investors, when I could have been doing so much more in my own community and digging in deep and digging my roots deeper. And I feel like if I had spent the time to dig my roots deeper, I don't think I would have been in so much chaos as I was the past two weeks. I thank you for sharing that. I see it sends so much um, authenticity and just you being you. Um, I will say I've been really lucky sitting in this chair and then speaking to a lot of people in the last couple of weeks about what they're going through. And first of all, and most importantly, know that you are not alone. There are so many people going through this and, and dealing with this, and there's absolutely zero shame or any negative feeling of admitting that this fucking sucks, that you've never been through it. I, I think there are parallels to you being a CEO and, and both of us being parents you know, our kids look to us to have all the answers because Amma and Appa know best, right? But, and sometimes we just don't know. And it's empowering to look your kid in the eye and say, hey, I don't know, but let's find out. Or I don't know, but let's go together. Um, you're right. There are still, whatever, overconfident people or delusional people that are just, you know, yay, positivity and mindset will get us through this. And it's like, no, it won't. You know, you actually have to, you know, dig your nails in and, you know, do work and, and pivot and almost daily more, you know, more, multiple times a day, just figure it out. So um, I, I think you being, you're, you're making yourself vulnerable by sharing your thoughts. Obviously your employees follow you on these social channels and your customers do. And then the greater community does. I actually think you are, it, it is a brush of fresh air far greater than what you can imagine it to be right now, because there are people in your similar position, um, maybe their city is not at the point of Nevada or California in terms of business shifts. Um, this thing is going to strike every city. And if you don't think your city is, please take caution. Um, coming from LA and Vegas where not a lot of things are open um, and, and things will be different for a very long time. I do think that even just sharing out and, and having the bravery to come on a show like this and just say, yeah, I am drinking every day. Yeah, this shit sucks. And I don't know what the answer is. But here's all the things that I am doing just to see if it works, right? Um, I, I'll plug it at the end. But, you know, if, if you're on your laptop watching this or listening to this, right now, go to mothershipcoffee.com, order five bags of coffee. It's freaking good. If it sucks, I'll buy it back from you. Give it to a neighbor. Um, you ain't you ain't going to your local coffee shop anyway, right? You're quarantined at home. So, you know, um, as, as you're having coffee in the morning, as you're having virtual coffee chats with your friends and your colleagues, um, share it out. Um, look, I understand that large, big coffee shops that we go to regularly need our help too, because there are human beings that work there. But I'll argue that Coffee Bean and Starbucks are better capitalized to get through this shit than the Wannies of the world, the single shops that you know, um, cash flow is king. And once something's dry up, 
and without reprieve or you know amnesty from landlords uh, we won't see these businesses come back and then we risk that happening so um, support your local stores I, I think you know coffee is is a thing that you know I, I've seen a lot of posts you know it's it's very almost offensively optimistic like you know through this you will learn that making coffee at home and saving five dollars a day was the right answer all along and well shit there are people who depend on that $5 a day from you, not just for a living, but to build community and to feel a sense of it. And, and that's what you provided. Like I said, I, I've been to your store. I've, I've met your your team and they are really, really kind human beings who probably work anywhere else in town. It is a service town. And with that level of dedication and uh, a customer first friendliness and kindness, you probably work anywhere, but they choose to stay with you because they, they believe in your vision and they believe in the long-term, you know, win together mentality this must not be easy for you. I, no matter how many times I think about it, it is, I, I just can't understand. And um, so, so thank you for coming on and sharing your story because I think it is, it needs to be shared more, a different topic for a different conversation, but you are a double minority female business owner. Holy crap. Right? Like that, those are things that certainly don't. Um, I don't exist. No, yeah, but they don't work in your favor when you're trying to, you know, um, ask for help or, you know, it's those are admittedly uh, obvious and uh, real challenges that impact your business uh, more so than somebody who doesn't have those uh, identities tied to you. So, I mean, hell, like you said, you're the longest running independent chain store in Las Vegas. Um, you are a half Asian, half Ecuadorian woman. Um, and, and so even though it might seem hard, I think there's so many things to celebrate. You know, there are, I, I know it's hard and I'm not trying to just candy coat this at all, but in, in the 10 plus years that you've had your doors open, the community was built, lives were changed. Pe- people met in your stores and got married. People had, you know, amazing life changing moments. So I really hope that this is as, as short as we can make it a temporary pause in, in the grand scheme of things. And that, you know, whatever normal will be in in a few months that we can get back to it, we'll we'll get through it together. Um, I have been telling my friends to buy as much coffee as they can. Um, We're we're doing a giveaway uh, from a couple posts ago to to get coffee out. Like I said, one, it's really good coffee. And two, shit, you're going to drink coffee at home anyway. So um, why why not support a sister? And and any final thoughts? Um, Anything you want to share that's... um, been bugging you and now you feel that this is your chance to say whatever the heck you've been wanting to say (laughs) um i think uh what i want to say is that i i pride myself in using setbacks as a way to find opportunities and i think as i grow uh the universe has given all of us a setback and for some of us, we're lucky if we realize that there is another way to grow. I do believe that I will grow from this. And even though it, in a way, has broken me down, I think I could build myself up better and stronger. In adversity, in uncertain times, we have to think of new and innovative ways even just to communicate and get our feelings out there. So, um, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we, we end the show the same way every show, which is to go back to the theme of the show, the title of our show, The Asian Americans. Um, the inspiration from the show, for the show, came from what I considered, and many people would agree, 
a lack of communication to, for, and from the community. Um, so I ask every guest to write a love letter or any sort of letter um, to us from you. Um, so I will start, and if you would help us finish out the show um, by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. I can read you a poem I wrote during this time. Sure, I, however, I, however you'd like about, to express it, yeah. It's about two people falling in love. And I think uh, at the end of the day, no matter through an epidemic, pandemic, quarantine, or the apocalypse, uh, the one thing we can guarantee is that people are going to fall in love. Um, I think that's why this one's been hard because it's hard to fall in love when no bars are open anymore. Tell me a story, tell me a story, two people falling in love. Let's hear it from your lips. Whisper your hungry vision along the curves of my thigh. Stake your claim and release me into you. Show me how you love. Wrestle my restless heart, climb the wild vines. Tell me your virtues in a blanket of hope. Comfort my tired heart. Tell me, just tell me you're mine. You gotta make a move before the story becomes undone because the story we don't speak has a life of its own. Fall in love, guys. I don't know, swipe swipe away, but don't meet up in person. Fall in love again with, with your spouse that you're now stuck at home with. Um, <laughs> Tell your roommate you love him or her. Um, look, we're, we're, we're finding new ways to connect, right? So to brighter days um, in, in light of your, one of your stores named Sunrise Coffee. Uh, to brighter days, um, get your ass to mothershipcoffee.com. Buy one of everything. Buy a bag for somebody else. If you are still, you know, I, I don't know, who doesn't drink coffee? Not very many people. So please do that. If you have small business owners in your network, reach out. No, no intent other than just to say, how are you doing? How can we help? And for all of our listeners out there, if you have a job still, if your company's probably not going to go out of business and you are working from home and those direct deposits continue to check come in every two weeks and you think you're going to get through this fine, this is the time to help our friends who don't have that luxury. And so I, I say this often, you know, watch all the Netflix you think you can, but if what you're going to watch next is the biggest thing on your mind, take a break, take a pause, look through your phone list, go down your Facebook friend list and see who might need just a quick hello. Um, you don't know what even a quick check-in would mean for that person. A bag of coffee at Wani's website is $14. That is not a whole lot of money for people who have steady jobs and who, whose incomes may not be impacted greatly. And maybe even buy a bag for, for somebody who, um, who lost, just lost their job. You know, the jobs numbers came out yesterday, three plus million people. It is shocking and um, there's, there's really no logical end in sight. So um, Wani, thank you for coming on and being brave enough to share your story. Um, it's, you know, though I've known you for almost, you know, geez, 22, 23 years. Um, to, to hear your story from your own words and, and to hear your journey is, is a new, uh, new journey for me. On, on a personal note, I was just texting with uh, Dakin just before we came on. And so uh, to all of our friends from Project Bridge 99, um, if you're listening, if you're watching, hello. Uh, 
you know, our, our, our friend Peter is still serving uh, the country uh, in the Marines and, and so many people, um, Jalissa, uh, Daryl, we still see on Facebook. So hello to everybody. Be well. Check in with your friends. Take the weekend to check in with your friends. Buy some coffee. If not from Wani, go to your neighborhood store. Buy oh, some stuff. Fall, yeah, fall, I don't know. Get, get drunk on coffee and fall in love. Yes. That is a lesson of the story. Wani, thank you very much to Brighter Days. All the best to you and your family. And uh, you. until we can see each other in person again, be well. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Wani. If that story resonated with you, please take a moment to share this episode with a friend or two. Wherever you are and whatever you may be going through, I hope you are staying safe. I really hope that you are staying healthy through all this. Reach out to your friends, connect with them, and reach out to us here at The Asian Americans if you want to chat. It's been a great experience for me to produce these shows and to share my conversations with my friends, old and new, with all of you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. Check us out on the web at theeurasianamericans.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Eurasian Americans. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the show and in the ways that we can improve. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, and The Eurasian Americans. Stay healthy.